All right, we are in Psalm 13. If you would take out your Bibles and turn there with me. Psalm chapter 13. I was thinking this week as I was looking at this psalm and reading and rereading, and one of the things we as Christians do have to wrestle with is the objective side of our faith and the subjective side. The objective truth that's black and white, it's a rock, it doesn't move, it doesn't change, there it is. And the subjective side, how we live, how we experience fellowship with God and love from God or God's absence and relationships. And both are vital. Right thinking, truth is vital. And our experience, how we deal with life, how we respond is vital. We can't overemphasize one to the neglect of the other. And in my life, I tend to be more of an objective truth, black and white. I am very concerned in the church that truth be upheld and that we don't get swept along with feeling that we don't prioritize our experience over doctrine. There's been a lot of damage because of that. And yet on the other side, there's been damage of people who just are truth and don't love others. They don't make room for others' expression, for their sorrow. For instance, David in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Eh, bad theology. God doesn't forget. You ought to be careful. No. Subjective. He's experiencing God's displeasure. He's hiding his face. It's right. And so we need both, brothers and sisters. We need to sing truth and we need to sing with all of our hearts. We don't want to be the kind of church that sings the truth like at a museum or something. We want to sing with all that we are because of God who has rescued us from our sin and promises everlasting life, a God of truth and justice and mercy and kindness. Psalm 13 does that well. So my aim in this psalm is to love you and to help you to learn how to deal with the times in your life when you're in grief and sorrow when you feel like God has turned his back. How to do that truly, and yet not how to stay there, not to be a victim, not to be a poor me, woe is me kind of thing that is all the rage today. Let me read, pray, and then we'll continue. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted In your steadfast love, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. 
I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray. You are our most merciful, eternal Father. You give life to the dead. You are of infinite goodness. And so we ask you now to quiet our hearts, that we would not be overthrown with the afflictions that are on us, that in our consciences we may rejoice always in your salvation. And we ask that you may cause us to be continually addicted to the praise and magnification of your most holy name, because Jesus Christ is our Savior, our Redeemer, and your dear Son. Amen. So this is another song. It is a sad song that ends happy. But it's a, as Pastor Jeff said, a, something of a lament. You see again that it's given to the choir master. We don't know who that is. We don't know if there was more than one. They might have had ten of them and they just rotated. But these were people excellent in music, given a song to lead the congregation in song. It's from David. But other than that, we don't have any clue as to the circumstances. Some will say that it's when David sinned against Bathsheba, when he committed adultery, murdered Uriah. Don't know. What's going on here, though, is David is in sorrow. God, as we see in verse 1, has hidden his face. David's grieved. All he knows right now is sad. Dull ache. There's nothing else. Enemies are winning. He's losing. I think it's helpful that we don't know the exact circumstances going to be broadly applied to your lives. So again, this is meant for you. This is from your Father in heaven, meant to give you a song to sing in sorrow. A song to sing when you know that God has closed off his presence from you. David loves God, and he can no longer stomach God's absence. So this is meant for you to sing. And then to learn how to turn from that to trust, from that to praise. This is a psalm that's meant to give you, how do I do what 1 Thessalonians 5 says, rejoice always? How do I get from my sorrowful circumstances to that? Well, Psalm 13 paves the way. So again... Brothers and sisters, this is meant to be learned by you to sing. We are commanded throughout Scripture to sing psalms. Here it is. We've sung it. It's a good one, isn't it? Do you enjoy singing that? That's delightful. So this psalm has three parts. It's called the howling psalm because of how long, howling, howling psalm. Four times. He has a howl of anxiety, of fear, of sorrow in the first two verses. Just questions. How long? How long? How long? How long? Then he turns in verses 3 and 4 to a cry of prayer. He moves from questioning to asking, Consider me! Answer me! Ever prayed something like that? What are you doing? Where are you? So he moves from, How long to help? Last week it was help, O Lord. This week, don't you see? Look, answer. Then in verses 5 to 6, there's this song of faith, and it's a sweet one. He knows, based on God's past mercies, 
that God has and will deal liberally, bountifully, generously with him. And so he sings. So first, I I just want to impress on you, it is godly to grieve. It is a good work of faith to grieve. As we try to impress on you, especially men, to live masculine Christianity, one of the lies is that men can't grieve. It's just a womanly thing. It's a manly thing. It is a womanly thing. We are to grieve. Our Lord wept when his dear friend died. He wept. That that wasn't a few tears trickling down his cheek. That was full on, all out, losing it, blubbering, weeping. It's godly to grieve. Jesus, one of his names given in Scripture, Isaiah 53, is a man of sorrows. In Ecclesiastes 7, it is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting, for this is the end of man, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. But we live in a world that's just silly, just light. We don't want to go near people who are grieving lest we get dirty. We don't know what to do because we don't live in a world that can either feast with full-on joy nor weep with crazy sorrow. We just want to be dull and plain. Weep. The heart of the wise in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools in the house of mirth. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because they shall be comforted by God. It's good to grieve. Why is David grieving? He says, first off, will you forget me forever? Now, he doesn't mean that God has actually lost the memory of David. He defines what he means in the next line. How long will you hide your face from me? God has removed, in some way, his loving, intimate, fatherly face. David loves God. David knows what it is to be near to God. This is David, the man after God's own heart. This is David, the one who rejoices when they said unto him, let us go up to the house of the Lord to be near and worship God. And now, nothing. He searches for God and can't find him. He feels his absence. In the Baptist Confession of Faith, there is in chapter 18 teaching on how do we get and what is assurance of our salvation. I want to read a bit of it to you because it outlines what's going on here in this psalm. It says that our infallible assurance, that is our knowing for certain that we are God's and that God is ours and he will keep us. This subjective part of our faith that we know we are in Christ. Listen to this. This infallible assurance is not so joined to the essence of our faith that is automatic and inevitable. A true believer may wait long and fight with many difficulties before he partakes of this infallible assurance. Why? True believers, true believers he's talking to, may have assurance of their salvation in various ways shaken, diminished, suspended, might be because you're negligent is one reason they give. It might be because you've fallen into some grievous sin. It might be because you're in some great temptation. 
Okay, so you're shaken. Do I belong to God? I'm not as certain as I once was. Then he gives a fourth reason. Or by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance. God chooses in his most wise and perfect wisdom to withdraw the light of his countenance. He hasn't unsaved you. You don't even know why, but God has decided to close off his presence, his face. That's what David is experiencing here. We don't know why. We just know that David is there. This is discipline. I want to recommend this little book to you. It's by Henry Law. It's two volumes, Daily Praise and Prayer. It's the book of Psalms arranged for private and family use and prayers. Short, three to four pages. Henry Law, if you want to have one good resource for the psalm that isn't just theology or just isn't what does it mean, but what is it for, how do I use it, this is excellent. Listen to this. Discipline is needed in the school of grace. Discipline is needed in the school of grace. Therefore, the Father does not withhold. A loving Father father orders it. A loving hand applies it. Why? A shaken tree takes deeper root. To this effect, tokens of God's presence are withdrawn. His much-loved smile smiles not. His tender whispers are no longer heard. Precious communion fails. It is as a forsaken dwelling. No ray of love illumines the surrounding darkness. Fear whispers, God is forever gone. But we're too spiritual for that, right? We're too good a Christian to have God ever do that to you. It's what we think. I'm too good for that. God wouldn't do that to me. He did it to David. There are times in your life where the lights are going to go out and God's loving light presence. You're going to feel like he has kicked you to the curb and he is not listening. That's where David is. How long? Help. But David only knows God's absence because he's enjoyed God's presence. Right? David only laments the loss of what he knows of God's love because he has experienced God's love. And he loves God. This is what we're made for, aren't we? We're made for love. You're made for love. Husbands are made to receive the love and respect of their wives. Wives are made to receive the the love and nourishing care of their husband. Children are made to receive the loving care of their fathers and mothers, friends, and all of it. And when that's gone, it's grief. This is why when somebody that you love passes, it's not that we know if they're a believer, they haven't gone to a better place. It's that they're not there. The touch, the presence, the nearness. There is not a day that goes by that I do not miss my father's presence. This is what David has lost because he loved him. Do you love God? Would you even notice if he was absent from you? Would you even have any lament? Do you love him? 
Is there one thing that's most precious in your life to you? And that is God. Would you howl if he was gone? That's what David's doing. And this isn't nice. If you want a respectable Christianity, don't come here. If you want a Christianity that doesn't do things like this, how long, God? Consider. Answer me. This isn't nice. This isn't clean. This isn't for those who need to appear to having it all together. This is dirty. It's messy. It's uncouth. So what do you do if you're there? What do you do? Well, one thing you don't do, and one thing that we're prone, prone to do is kind of superstitions. What I mean is, when we're in this kind of sorrow or we're this kind of grief or God's hand of discipline upon us or he feels distant, like you just got to figure out the trick you can do to get back. Maybe there's a certain prayer I have to pray a certain way at a certain time, a certain amount of times. See it on Facebook. You share and like this ten times. But that works for you. Because you want to do what needs to be done to get God to do it. Because you got to be in control of it. And you can somehow manipulate God back into doing it. This is why all these fad diets and superfoods and essential oils work so well on you. Because we're superstitious to the core. This is what the reformers were always railing against the Roman Catholics for. Because if you... If, if the priest gives you the bread and the cup, it's magically transformed in the actual body and the actual blood of Jesus and superstitiously it'll work magic in you. If you put the coin in the coffer superstitiously, Jesus' blessing will be upon you. Don't do it. Don't do it. What do you do when you're here? You look at God and you cry out to him. That's what you do. How long, O oh Lord? Will you leave me forever? You shake your fist at him. Consider, answer me. Don't you love me? Where are you? You go hoarse. Your eyes are puffy and red. You've got nothing else but God. There's no superstition, there's no chemicals. There's no hobbies. It's just God. That's what we do. We turn to Him and cry out to Him and plead to Him. But we don't stay there. We don't stay there. There's this great turn in verse 5. You, you, you see this often in Scripture. But. But. How long, O oh Lord? Answer me, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy prevails. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice. I will sing. The godly grieve, but they're never victims. 
Sometimes you can use grieving to manipulate others. Sometimes you can just stay there. You're in a perpetual funk. Because you just don't want to move out of it. Because it's safe to be a victim. It's secure to be a victim. You can always get others pity. You can always get others to treat you kid glovely. David willfully moves on. He will not remain a victim. We're not victims. David moves on. He says, I have trusted. Why past tense? I expect present future. I will trust. I have trusted. David is going back to the root of why God's blessing is ever on him in the first place. It's just mercy. It's just Christ. That's it. There's no other expectation we have of God's kindness towards other than Jesus Christ. I have trusted in your steadfast love. So it's God's mercy. We know, as believers, we deserve nothing from God. Nothing. But our problem and our sin is that we demand everything. We deserve it all. We never, ever deserve God's discipline. Because God owes me. That, that's what we do. And this is rampant in our world today, isn't it? We're all victims. We all deserve. We all demand. And we take that right into our Christianity. And when God has done something we disapprove of, we do not remember that it's all mercy. It's all grace. We deserve nothing And he gives liberally. Listen to this. God is a liberal. (laughs) I shouldn't even explain that. I should just let you stew in that. Look at that last line. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. He has dealt liberally with me. He has given me infinitely more than I ever deserve or expected. Why? Because I was a sinner, an enemy under his wrath, and he has washed all my sin away and given me his son's righteousness and promised me a full inheritance along with his own son. That's it. That's the only thing we know. So God is liberal. So we will sing. God is liberal, so we will sing. Joy is not silent. It tells of all of God's gracious dealings with us. He gives us all in His only Son, and He gives us His Holy Spirit, and so we sing. We sing. Let me close with this. King of glory, King of peace, I will Love thee. I will love thee. And that love may never cease. I will move to thee. Thou hast granted my request. Thou hast heard me. Thou didst note my working breast, my inner turmoil, and you have spared me. Wherefore, with my utmost art, I will sing to thee. I will bring the cream of my heart, the best that I have to thee. Though my sins against me cry, you did clear me. 
and alone when the sins replied, you heard me and not they. Seven whole days, not one in seven. All week long I will praise thee in my heart, though not in heaven I will raise my praise to thee. Small it is in this poor person, in this poor sort, to enroll to thee. Even eternity is too short to extol thee. That's what we give to God, our all in praise, in song. Why? Because he has given you heaven. He has not counted your sins against you. And so when God is disciplining you, and his hand is heavy on you, and his presence feels gone, you lament, you cry out, you say things that good Christians should never say to God, and then you turn and take yourself in hand, and you say, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice because you have saved me. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray. Father, help us to live this. May we not be too holy, too spiritual to learn to lament and cry out like David does in the first four verses. And may we not be too apathetic, too cold to sing with all of our heart, to bring the cream of our being to sing your praises, even that will fall short. And so God, teach us to weep and to sing, and to sing through weeping, because you have dealt bountifully with us. Lift this up to you as you be pleased with it. In Jesus' name, amen.